0: The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Guerrilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I am your host, Paul Spain, and with me is... I'm Nate Dunn. Nate Dunn, welcome to have you back on the podcast. How are you? Very good. Thanks for having me back. Always good fun. Well, let's jump straight into the news topics and bits and pieces for this week. Uh, lots going on. So there's a bunch of New Zealand news, Hawaii cable, Auckland Airport had an IT outage which landed in the news. We have some discussion around Apple's new MacBook Pro with Touch Bar that we've been playing around with. This uh, finally made its way to New Zealand Talk a little bit about Tesla and uh, some of their power. Talking about free rides on the uh, San Francisco uh, Municipal Transport System due to a hacking. Airbnb and some cyber security predictions from Semantic. On the local front, a little bit of a chat around a new report from TrueNet. So let's jump straight in. Um, first up, Airbnb. Now... I've been using Airbnb for quite some time, Nate. We were just chatting about this uh, before. You've just done your first
1: bookings on Airbnb. I have. for have upcoming trip to UK. I leave for the UK in two weeks, and so I've never used um, Airbnb. Do you want to explain what Airbnb is to anyone who's never come across it? So Airbnb, my my
0: version of it, it gives you an alternate option to the traditional staying in sort of hotels and. Motels and whatnot around the world when you travel. I'm trying to think where I first used Airbnb. I I can't remember, but I've I've used them over quite a number of years, uh, both for little you know trips in New Zealand where it might be going to Christchurch. I've used Airbnb quite a number of times in, in Christchurch where I have family based. And I'd like to maybe want a space for, for my family to stay. Now, of course, you can do the traditional stay in a in a hotel. That's all well and good. But what I like about Airbnb is, and it falls under this category of the sharing economy, lets you rent out either a room in somebody's home or lets you, lets you rent out their, their entire home or the house. And some people will rent a property full time this way. So instead of putting the house on the traditional rental market, they're basically turning it into a sort of a mini hotel. But the, the really nice thing around staying in an Airbnb rather than a traditional hotel is you, you just tend to get... Somewhere nicer, more interesting to stay. You've got maybe a bit more of a variety in terms of options. Yeah, decent internet, those, those sorts of things. Access Laundry, to, yeah, la- one, laundries one and saying. kitchens and so on. That, that's pr- that's probably the biggest one. Actually, if you're staying somewhere for a time, it's just nice to have all of those standard creature comforts that you're used to at home and and having those in
1: in place um, along with that i've also seen a few places because i'm yeah going to the uk for a, a wee while like, over christmas um is breakfast and there's actually been two different types of breakfast i've seen and you read because you can review the places that you've stayed in uh, some of the places i've seen that the person will a bit like a bed and breakfast will actually get up and make your breakfast although cheekily a couple of the places i've read the the comments have said yes breakfast is included but breakfast meaning included means that there's stuff in the fridge you actually have to cook your own breakfast i so think I've, i think that's totally fine i mean you you just have to read the description yeah i think
0: because there's a variety and yeah i mean I'm, I'm totally fine with that i think you just you just have to go
1: in wise by reading the reviews and the descriptions mm, mm. I, i've not used airbnb before i tend to be motel hotel sort of person but the budget that we'd allowed to for our stay in the uk and now booking it through airbnb we've saved i'd say at least 50 percent on what it would have been or what i sort of had in my head for hotels and some of the places um, like we're staying in London when we first get there we're really central like I think the Big Ben and a whole lot of other things are like a three or four minute walk from the apartment that we're staying at the train stations really close and everything else and I I think looking at a, a traditional hotel being that central the cost would be uh, horrendously high, and for us, we're really just after somewhere that we can securely leave our luggage, and somewhere nice and warm to sleep at night. Like we're not really need a you know a big fancy hotel, so just a base to to be at is more than sufficient. I think Airbnb perfectly fits that, and when you said with that sharing economy, I think that fits in. It's a very much like the Uber sort of model where you've got a resource like a vehicle. You can share it with others, and Airbnb is the same. You you could have just a, a whole house or just one room, and you can share it with people who are looking for accommodation.
0: Yeah, it's, I mean, it's certainly something that I've given some thought recently, because an investment I made some years ago was in a, a property in Mount Maunganui. Now, the thought was, look, we'll rent it out for a few years, and then it'll probably become our batch, because that's kind of the thing, that's the Kiwi thing to do, is to have a little, a little batch by the beach. But because it's been rented out for the last, basically since we got it about 10 years ago, we've... Other than when we first got it, we've never been able to stay there. Mm. And so what we've done is we've used Airbnb and there are other, you know, varying other services as well, sort of local New Zealand, uh, you know, variants that are focused on 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 batch rentals specifically. But we've found actually this sharing economy thing works really well because we can, we can stay where we want, when we want. It's actually reasonably cost effective to do that. If we decided that, look, we're going to keep having a batch longer term, then and not rent it out then we would be making it available by airbnb when we weren't using it and you'd get somebody local who can look after changing the sheets and cleaning and those sorts of things that need to be need to be done but very much sort of bought into this model of the sharing economy i think it makes a whole lot of whole lot of sense
1: the interesting thing when you do book an airbnb for someone who hasn't done it and i'm very familiar with it now having booked something like 30 of them in the last um, few weeks is is the component when you go to, to hire. So you you'll have your per night rate. So that that'll be fixed. And then you'll have some of them charge for extra people. Some don't. And then there'll tend to be a an Airbnb fee for it being on the platform. So that's outlined nice and nice and clear. But there's also a cleaning fee. So pretty much all the, the places you look at will have will comprise your pricing will comprise of those three things: a, a per night rate, a cleaning rate, and an Airbnb fee. And then it explains it to you but the nice thing with booking in the uk is that it actually convert it to new zealand dollars so instead of my credit card getting slammed with the, all the currency conversions and the bank fees i'm paying in nzd which is was a really nice surprise yeah
0: i mean i found the model works well and you know yeah we've used them we use them in london we stayed a little bit further out um, on one occasion in, in london uh, near uh, wimbledon which was which was cool yes. really neat spot uh, that, worked, that worked well for us right next to a train station. Singapore, where the accommodation was reasonably pricey, and we got a you know, much nicer spot than we probably would have been spending on a, on a hotel for the, for the family, an apartment, a nice swimming pool and so on. Uh, again, near, near close to the MRT there. And I've used them in New York and uh, California, as, as well as around New Zealand, like Mount Monganui and uh, Christchurch, Wellington and so on. But they're running into a little bit of trouble. So we've heard uh, Barcelona have fined Airbnb around a million dollars. Uh, in New York, they've run into troubles. And I think in California, maybe a few issues. So the the big news story in the last few days was around a couple who stay, because New York have, have got a, a number of rules and regulations around what you're allowed to do with your private accommodation. And... I guess we're seeing a little bit of what we've seen around Uber, where there's a level of protection for the existing businesses. And so, you know, imagine somebody that's in the hotel trade not being, and especially if you've got investments in that area, uh, or, you know, I guess there's a whole lot of scenarios, but, uh, you know, basically the, the cities are earning uh, tax and all sorts of bits and pieces off uh, the, the hotel trade. And now we've got people that are staying basically in a spare bedroom in a residential home or a spare bedroom in an apartment or maybe a whole apartment's being rented out and it's starting to compete. So there are varying challenges with that. There's also, I imagine, some sort of safety regulations and things in some places that need to be followed. So in some cases, Airbnb is sort of running running a foul of some of that. But in general, I think it's very good and they provide you know insurance for those that are renting their home out. Uh, So, I imagine there'll be, there'll be a bunch or a lot of people in New Zealand that over summer are going to be renting their homes out, for instance, right? I -hmm. mean, you're using Airbnb while you're going halfway around the world. You could quite easily, and I don't know how hard it would be for you to pack your stuff up and how much stuff you've got, but, if you could get, you know, clear out sort of key things or most of what was in your home was just furnishings and so on anyway, you could exit it out, pay someone to sort of do the cleaning and whatnot and put your home on Airbnb and actually pay for your, your accommodation uh, while you're in the UK. You might not get quite as much as the London rates, but uh, you could pay for a good chunk of your holiday that way. Yeah, right? well, it's a
1: good way to make a little bit of extra cash on the side.
0: And that's that whole sharing economy coming in, right? Where it's mm. like, well, hey, I'm not using it, and and I mean, there certainly it's been around for a long time doing house swaps and and things like that. My business partner, uh, before he retired, he used to do a, a, a house swap. Um, you know, I didn't know he did it, you know, quite a, quite a number of times. He'd go to Europe. Somebody from Europe would come out or wherever, and uh, nice. um, you know, use his home or his. Uh, um, holiday accommodation and so on so uh,
1: yeah. Sorry, I think about the Airbnb booking system too, it's got this nice little feature, well I thought it's a nice feature where when you book a place it actually says can you um, send a message to your host about you know what you're going to be doing and so I thought oh look, this, when you book so many places it gets a little bit tedious but you actually have to provide it so you type in, you know, hi Paul I'm coming, at, I'm coming to NZ to visit blah 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 so I think it's quite a nice way at least to kick off that you're going to be staying with someone. And the app actually works really well. And from a technical point of view, when you install the app, they stop sending you text messages with the uh, messages. It, it sort of automatically swaps over. And I think they actually message you a text, uh, sorry, they send you a text saying, hey, look, we know you've got the app now. We're not going to send you any more text messages. We'll do all the communication through the app. Which... Oh, I haven't seen that. I, still yeah. get,
0: I get the texts as well. And no, I've got the you... app
1: installed on multiple devices. Oh, that's bizarre. Because when I installed the app, yeah, I'm sure I got a text message saying they were just going to use it, and I was like, "This is very well thought out." Mm. So no, no a, I, I haven't a- noticed that, but I've been using
0: it for a long time, so maybe yeah. Uh- yeah maybe that's that 's not the norm also with those when you are sort of because you 've got to go through a place some places you can just do instant book like booking a hotel room, other ones you sort of send them a message and check whether they 're available when willing to take your uh, your booking mm. and that 's where sending the extra personal information is helpful, but it also takes that if you filled it in once and you're maybe you're emailing sort of you know five different uh places or people to say, Hey, would your place be available on these dates here 's a little bit about me and you know what i 'm doing i 'm not going to mess up your your home whatever It'll copy and paste that across. So when you do a new one, it automatically changes out. So if your first line says, Hi, Bob. And then this one's to Jane or something, it just changes it from Bob to Jane and, you know, carries over the text. So it does make it a very quick and easy, uh, easy process. Now, the original reason why uh, I wanted to give Airbnb a a mention was not just around, obviously, there's a bit of news there around what's happening in in, uh, New York and California with them running into a, a few issues. And in Barcelona is that they're also in talks to buy a rival um in China so that's interesting stuff um but the the real big thing is that they've they've changed when you go into their app it used to all be just about booking accommodation now they've got all these sorts of things that you can do when you're traveling and um so you might be somebody that um I don't know, wants to teach people about uh, I don't know, New Zealand cooking. And so people coming to town, you can offer that as a service now through Airbnb. Uh, you, can, you could give somebody a sightseeing tour of Auckland or of whichever part of the country that you live in. In California, for instance, there are, there are little little uh, what was one I saw was around a you know basically a, a an entrepreneurial course that you can go on while you were in visiting uh, Silicon Valley, and so there's all sorts of just little local things that you can sign up for and do while you're uh, while you're in a particular um, part of the world. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the, I guess the big the big. Uh, Change is these they're calling them experiences that they've added in to um, to Airbnb. So there's some um, yeah, there's a there's some opportunities there, I guess, for people to uh, earn money, mostly from Airbnb's perspective, for them to earn more money. And to build a bit of a stickier experience, so I would imagine over time, what they're wanting to do with the Airbnb is kind of make that the go-to place when you travel. So maybe they'll also offer you. Uh, I mean, initially they're, they're they're looking at those that sort of sharing economy type uh, thing and some extensions of it. Uh, but maybe in the future, you'll buy tickets to shows. Maybe they'll they'll start selling you airfares and so on through their through their one app because they'll know about your accommodation and then can. You know, tie together the other side of it, or or, or vice versa. So, um,
1: do you know what the um? Do you know what the the shortest amount of time you can um, book an Airbnb in it? Like if you, they they vary. So if you're renting out your
0: place, you can um, you can make it available for just a night, and you basically sort of set some rules. So I mean, with the instant book ones, uh, I mean you'd have to have. Uh, most of them you wouldn't need a whole lot of warning, but there are different techniques that people use. So for instance, some people have some technology in, in place. Um, so I read a, about one guy who was, he'd basically made a living buying up some uh, accommodation that was quite cheap in uh, Las Vegas when the when the property market uh, downturn sort of happened there with um, the GFC. Yep. And uh, so he bought this stuff up cheap and then basically he put in uh, technology so you could... Um, he could control who could get in and out via electronic, you know, locks that were linked back to, uh, you know, he he could control them over the internet. So cool. he could give you a code that was your your code to use for the three days or the one day or whatever you were there, and all of that set up. So I guess you could just automate that whole lot up the wazoo. So basically, as soon as you get a booking. It sends them the confirmation, sends them their code, um, or it tells them that the app that they need to um, you know they need to register for because you can use an app to open a door, uh, those sorts of things, and just you know you could automate the whole lot, and it could send the message off to you know whoever you've got who does your, your cleaning and laundry and those sorts of bits and pieces, so that uh, all of that happens when the person uh, leaves. So it, you know it all just all just works. Very cool. Um, so yeah so it could be from one night some people set a minimum and say look the shortest you can stay is is five nights and some of the uh, legislation, I think that's what they're coming up against. And in, uh, in New York and California, as a legislation, is look, you're not allowed to rent out your home for less than, say, a 30 day period because they're they're looking at more traditional type rental. They don't want you to be competing with the uh, the hotels. Um, now, anyone that's interested in Airbnb, um, Airbnb have a little um, offer going on at the moment. Uh, if you use an affiliate code, and I'm more than happy to share mine because uh, we both do well out of it. Um, so if you haven't used Airbnb before you haven't signed up and you think you might do it at some stage in the future, if you go to airbnb.co.nz slash c slash pspain1, so pspain1, that will give you $45 credit towards your first Airbnb uh, stay, which is kind of uh, kind of convenient. It doesn't matter where in the world it is, but it's um, I think it's 45 New Zealand dollars towards your first stay. If you rent out your home, you decide. Oh, maybe I'll let my place go over summer, or you've got a, a beach pad that you're not going to be using for the whole period, and you decide to try and try and uh, uh, make that available. Uh, then I think you get. I think they also will give you a, a hundred dollars for the first time you actually rent out your place. Um, so that's actually pretty awesome. uh, pretty <clears throat> generous. It's quite an enticement to get people to give it a go. Um, so uh, yeah, you're welcome to um, to try out my little call it affiliate code. Um anyone that signs up gets um, gets one of those, but if you put that in you'll be you'll be helping me out for my next tech trip somewhere um or a holiday with the family. So much appreciated. Um now on to the next thing. Tesla. Um now they of course have uh, have finished their uh deal to um to
1: acquire Solar City and uh that puts them Which Elon Musk... Cousin started, or he started with his cousin, or something. It uh, wasn't a completely external. They're sort of yeah, I mean, he, he was sort of key key shareholder and so
0: on, and yeah. now it's all been wrapped in under the under the banner. I was going to talk about this one last week, but I but um, I don't think it's a pretty cool. I don't think
1: we did. It's a pretty cool um, scenario because anyone who's been to any of those smaller islands, it's just not economic to run big fat power cables from say Australia or NZ. So they in the essence have to be self-contained and what pretty much all these islands do is they will have somewhere hidden in the middle of the island will be a big um uh, family of, of diesel generators and they they just have those going 24 7 365 um and i was uh visiting nuai uh last year and then we found the power generation thing which is incredibly noisy but they hide it away and so that's the whole island powers off that and what these guys were saying is not only are they reducing the pollution that they're creating, but they also had an issue that if the the ships carrying all that diesel couldn't dock because the weather was so bad. Remembering you're in the out in the middle of nowhere, so it's it's if you can't dock, it's too risky to to, to try it and then try and repair because you just don't have the facilities to do it. Um, they'd run out of diesel and then there'd be no power for anyone, which is 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 really not any good. And the the thing that these islands have in abundance is sunshine. Like that's why you go there on holiday because it's. It's hot and sunny, so it, it, I think it, and it's even a perfect,
0: if it's cloudy, they're generating power. Anyway. Yeah,
1: it's like the perfect marriage of technology of having these uh, Tesla power banks, the um, solar panels, and you know keeping the island ticking over, and not having all that dirty, dirty diesel being.
0: Well, I guess you know there is there is a key to this, and it's it is those Tesla uh, batteries, the the power um, the power banks, because. Traditionally, you would have been a little bit stuck with just solar power, right? Hmm. Um, But that then, by by having having the batteries, that then allows them to run. um, I think in this case of this American uh, Samoa um, island, um, how do you pronounce it?
1: Have you got your... uh is it... Uh, Tao,
0: T-A
1: apostrophe U. Tao, yeah, I suppose.
0: Yeah, um, that's that's my guess anyway. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's now made them, you know, entirely self-sufficient. And because there's a whole array of these things, if one of them breaks down, presumably, they're, you know, they're still okay and so on. They can still get things repaired. Um, and, yeah, it looks like a, a really uh, a really smart way to um, um, to look after themselves. And they, it said that they, um, you know, the huge costs, you know, I think there's a mention of $400,000 a year was being subsidised, they were being subsidised towards their, uh, the, the, their diesel. So, you know, a very, very expensive way of, uh, of getting power. And uh, once the solar grid's in, uh, which I believe it is now, it's, um, it's fantastic fantastic way to operate so uh, yeah i imagine there must be some sort of generator as a somewhere as a as another option should this stuff get sort of ripped up by a, a cyclone or something uh, what, what
1: but, we saw when we we're at the the islands is the bigger hotels or the bigger locations will actually have their own generators so that if the main grid does go down they've at least got something to, to keep them going it's not any of anyone who knows about data centers, you know where it, the power goes down and it automatically clicks over. It's it's not like that at all. They've no, got to no. boot it up, fill it up with diesel, and there's a bit of downtime. Da, da da da. But it's better than having no power. So
0: yeah, we've got a generator in our building uh, here, and I think it takes about one is it one second, certainly under ten seconds to wow. kick in. It's. Uh, yeah that's very very convenient but yeah that's probably not 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 the case in most locations but uh we're in the building with a with a internet service provider so we we take advantage of that so on to something else quite interesting was the uh san francisco municipal uh transport system got uh, got hacked uh and appearing on uh the screens across their uh their um, transport stations on uh, computer screens and so on was the message you hacked all data encrypted. Um, so they were in a spot of bother, and basically they had to respond by giving uh, free rides uh, at least um, for for a, for a day or a day or so um, while their systems were uh, were compromised. So yeah, bit of a bit of a messy uh, messy state for them, and they've been investigating uh, what's what's been going on. Um, of course, it was Black Friday in the US, so uh, somebody was saying, "Was well, this some sort of Black Friday deal that we're getting uh, free free transport?" But um, yeah, things were just were basically wide open. People could go and get their free uh, uh, free free rides. Um, so. Um, yeah, not good. Apparently, the uh, the email systems um, were part of what was uh, what was hit at the uh, the transport agency. So, um, yeah, we, we see more and more
1: of these sorts of things, um, aren't we? It's not uh, it's not nice. You're because you're obviously quite close to this, the in you know, providing businesses with the ability to secure their networks. Is this a th- in your mind? Is this the sort of thing that you could prevent from happening, or is it they're such a big target that, regardless of what safeguards you put in place, it was, it's sort of inevitable. If somebody really wants
0: to get you, they, they can get you. Like uh, you know, if somebody wants to break into your house, there's probably a reasonable chance there will be a way that they can break in. Uh, but the, I guess a, a very uh, large am, a amount of impact, particularly for our, uh, you know, our small to medium businesses and with sort of common, uh, common types of attacks, there, there are lots and lots of things that can be put in place to mitigate those risks. So, uh, with Gorilla, we have a, a, very, very, uh, high chance of protecting our customers against the sort of, you know, the, the very, you know, typical type of, uh, scenarios, uh, that, that they see. But, you know, unfortunately, no, you can't be, you can't be 100% sure. So there's a, you know, there are a bunch of layers and things that we, uh, um, that we put in place. Um, so yeah, it's um, it's it's an ongoing challenge. I mean, part of, part of that tends to be uh, education. So we spend you know, a lot of time uh, educating people around the common scenarios and the uh, the you know the common sorts of things that they should be aware of. But look, you, yeah, it's one of those things that uh, it's now uh, not if you're going to ever get hit. It's when mm. uh, when you're going to get hit. And how quickly you find out and how you respond to it, so uh yeah, it's a very very different period than where we were a few years ago uh, a scenario I saw uh just recently actually working through a through um uh, a change in uh, in situations with property, so uh going through and working with a real estate agent uh in west auckland recently, and uh I got a call from him, and uh he explained to me. That the reason he had been delayed with getting me some information was that he had been hit with ransomware and basically <laughs> oh no. it had taken out all his key information and of course his IT provider just you't know, you know they, they weren 't taking any responsibility for it at all and I guess this is a common scenario you get where where people you know engage an IT provider to do what they ask of the IT provider and of course the company doesn 't know. What to ask and what to expect. And so, you know, this is what they got. You know, we have all sorts of scenarios like, uh, you know, people having admin access to their own computers or uh, contractors with, you know, very, very loose arrangements around what's acceptable. Uh, Basically, this really crippled his business. And, uh, you know, he was still telling me uh, maybe 10 days later that he was still stuck, didn't have access to his information, hadn't worked out what to do. Somebody else was looking at it. Uh, i mean at this stage i will say look it would have just been cheaper if you'd actually just paid, paid them to paid get, them to get out. to get your stuff back uh i mean i know that's not something you ever really want to be recommending to anybody but boy you know having a business crippled for uh uh for 10 days and of course you know there's no absolute guarantee you you pay someone you're going to get back or that you're not going to get hit uh with a bigger thing a week later or or anything else uh if you don't actually address the uh, the the issues at hand right so um, there's,
1: there's a lot more to it than that but never mind that's um... an important lesson uh, hard learned I suppose yes you need you need some uh, backup strategy and uh, test it regularly to make sure that it is actually the data you think is being backed up is actually there and that if you did have that's right a catastrophic fail like that even if you know your hard drive and your main laptop dies yeah or your laptop gets pinched because you live in the car accidentally you're going out for dinner have you got a strategy that you can get Access to your contacts, your emails, all those important proposals, because yeah there 's just so many in my mind there 's just so many ways that you can do it nowadays that there really is no excuse for for not having some strategy in place
0: yeah yeah, you 've got to have something in place, um, and we 'll chat about that a little bit more shortly because uh, semantic have uh, have shared with us their uh, Ten predictions for uh, for twenty seventeen uh, from a cybersecurity uh, perspective. So we'll jump into those uh, now. On a local front, the uh, the Hawaii cable is underway. Uh, so this is something that we've we've commented on in the podcast probably for. I don't know, maybe two or or, or three uh, years. The possibility uh, of this uh, this cable going ahead and and being built. Well, you know the the good news for us in New Zealand um, is not only have we got the uh, Tasman uh, Global Access cable uh, that will be finished. I think. At the, I mean, the last uh, we heard was end of uh, January type time frame, so that uh, that should be in place around that time. Um, but now the uh, Hawaii cable, and uh, that build is underway. That will link up uh, New Zealand through from, uh, I think from the Mangawai heads, uh, that will link up and uh, hook up to, uh, to Sydney, uh, and then that will go through... Um, uh, the Pacific is number of, I think a number of, uh, spots there, including, uh, American Samoa and, uh, and Hawaii, uh, before, uh, landing, I think in, um, uh, in Oregon. So a little bit further north, uh, than some of the other, uh, cables we've seen, which uh, landed in, uh, in California. So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty exciting stuff, um. We won't dive in too much to that discussion to sort of you know the the benefits of it and so on uh, because they have said they would uh, they'd be keen to join us on Tech uh, podcast episode. Um, we haven't managed to make that fit for uh, today, um, but um, Hawaii are quite uh, quite quite keen to uh, uh, to do that before Christmas. We've got a fairly full schedule between now and uh, uh, and our last episode on the twentieth of uh, of December, so we'll definitely do uh, do our best to uh, to get that. Uh, get that in and we can hear, uh, hear a whole lot more about that but um, overall I think it's, uh, it's got to be good for New Zealand doesn't it having,
1: uh, having extra connectivity it yeah. uh, lowers, lowers our risk what's the saying competition is good unless it's in your own industry that's true I think it's going to drive as our data caps get uh, especially mobile data caps get bigger and bigger we're going to need that backbone and capacity because a lot of that content uh, is coming out of the US. ISPs are getting clever and are caching a lot of the so YouTube video. So instead of you know you and your neighbour watching the, the same game release video, they're actually storing that locally. So that, that cuts down that cuts down on cost. Um, but we still need a, a quick connection to the US, and so at least having a couple of options. There's a little bit of competition there, which is uh, going to flow through to us as consumers, which is always a good thing.
0: Yeah, um, just a few, a few little details. So, um, it's supposed to be in operation, uh, by mid 2018. Uh, Five hundred uh, million dollar investment to uh, to put it into place uh, starts with a de- well, has a design capacity of forty two uh, terabits per second, um, so that's um, that's a pretty chunky amount of bandwidth. Um, and of course they have um, they have some key uh, partners that they have previously uh, signed up, um, including uh, REANs with their uh, their research network links up universities and and research locations and so on around. New Zealand um, also Vodafone and, and Amazon uh, web services so um, yeah there's um, a lot of uh, a lot of work that they 've done behind the scenes to get to this point get it funded i th- I think uh, the the funding comes out of uh, entirely out of New Zealand but uh, we'll hold off for a, for a, for a bit more detail on that uh, when, when we get to dive in for that separate chat but I think that the diversity is really a good thing. Uh, for New Zealand, and it means if one of the other uh, cables is hit or damaged in some way, uh, then there's a you know much much higher chance that New Zealand's not going to get knocked off the grid. Which um, in the age we're in, if we lost internet connectivity as a country, um, it would have a fairly uh, catastrophic uh, impact, I think, on, on our economy. Yes. Um, sort of, you know, think of think of you know the the billions that this recent earthquake uh, has cost. I think you would just be uh, yeah, I'd, I wouldn't like to think about think what, of what, all, what, what those figures might be if we got knocked out for a couple of weeks waiting for them to uh, repair cables. Think so, of uh, all
1: the lost Snapchats, Paul. What would we do?
0: Yeah, no, that would be the worst. <laughs> that would be the worst thing that could happen. Would be missing out on on some Snap Snapchats, Nate. That's exactly. uh, it's a it's a good point. Well, the the more people do business over these sorts of things, actually, it it could have a cost. Mm. So there you go. Not, not something we might have considered in the past, but uh, there, there we are uh, so what else, what else have we got going on this week Nate I at Auckland Airport. yeah, tell tell me about that uh, i don 't know that? a lot
1: i don 't know a lot about it. I just saw on on Twitter at about lunchtime today that the Auckland Airport network went down um, i don 't know exactly what had happened, but supposedly a few of the cafes that at the airport had signs up saying if pos was down um, cash only and I also saw another tweet that a photo of someone had put up um the, the caption was oh it's New Zealand and it was a whiteboard and on it was written flight numbers where they were going like Auckland Tower on Christchurch and then what gate they were at which I thought was a an amazing backup solution to when you can't get any flight information out grab a whiteboard grab a whiteboard marker let's just do this old school
0: yeah yeah so um, yeah so auckland airport uh tweeted that they had an outage and it was impacting um, flight information they said fl- you know flights themselves aren 't affected um, so that they tw- i think they tweeted that at eleven thirty a m this morning and uh, by about just over three hours later they were um, they were up and up and running again but uh yeah, not uh, not a good position for uh, for an airport to be in with having uh, those sort of key key systems fall over. Uh, of course you always try and have as many redundant systems and and um, you know uh, processes in place to sort of cover regarding all sorts of different scenarios, but you can't cover no, you every can. single scenario, can you?
1: That reminds me of this, the 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 111 system that went down when we had the earthquakes, you know, that's that's taken out Kaikoura. And the the report I was reading said that when the uh, 111 centre um, evacuates in Wellington, there's like a switch they've got to flick to say, hey, look, we can't answer any more calls, send the calls to the other two call centres. And what had happened, it was a human error. Someone had thought they'd flicked the magical switch and they hadn't. And so the calls were still going to, to Wellington. And I think it was about half an hour, 45 minutes before someone realised that, hey, no one's answering calls there. Let's manually override this. So, you know, you can have the most the best plans of whatever, but, and you can test them and test them and test them, but sometimes just, I don't know, just doesn't work out in your favor and you just have to sort of bang your head on the desk and, and move on. Hmm.
0: Now I want to talk about um, a gadget that, uh, that I've had a little bit of time to play with, but um, you somehow managed to, um, manage to steal it, steal it off me and it's now sitting on your lap. And it this is, very is nice. this is the new MacBook pro with touch bar. Now, there 's been a, a, a fair bit of discussion around some of the uniques uh, with the new macbook pro i 've got the 13 inch uh, Macbook Pro here with uh, with the touch bar they 've been reasonably hard to get get your hands on uh, because Apple are telling us that they 're selling them in, uh, in record numbers coming in at two thousand nine hundred and ninety nine uh, New Zealand dollars They do have a lower end model uh, it's about $500, uh, less. it 's about five hundred dollars less that doesn 't have the new touch bar and touch ID. Uh, and also has less uh, less ports, but we're looking at the the new
1: MacBook Pro with the Touch Bar. Um, Nate, what are your what are your first impressions? It is a beautiful bit of kit. It's very well manufactured. Um, we were talking about before we started how it has no power button, which I thought was quite strange, and that you turn it on by opening it and then you turn it off by closing it, which seems very simple and works really well. Actually, thinking about it, wouldn't, um, wouldn't you
0: call that very Apple? I mean yeah. that was sort of that's the that's this that's the the simplicity of old that we rem, rem, you know remember about Apple and I think that still you know carries through uh, you know in a fair number of things that Apple Apple
1: does. It makes yeah it makes perfect sense. Uh, that has got a fingerprint. was it Touch ID? Is that? I'm not a big I'm not they, a big. They call it Touch ID as their yeah. fingerprint reader. Yeah, uh, and I'm yeah. testing it and you put your finger on before and it's not letting me in. So at least it passes that security test, I suppose. But but you you tried it earlier and it suggested that it was using it because it said, you you
0: saw the arrow pointing at it saying sort of touch, uh, you know, unlock with touch ID, but then it unlocked with your... Your finger. Um, this it looks like there's still a couple of sort of glitches. Now a bit of detail on the on the touch bar. Um, so this is right next to the touch idea. The fingerprint reader is the touch bar, and this w- used to be the where the function keys were on the uh, on the Mac. The function keys have gone, and what you've got is sort of a, a, a little virtual row of keys, which is completely dynamic. It's a, basically a, a mini touch screen. They're calling it the touch bar, uh, slim touch screen that can. Bring up function keys. If you need it, by default, it's got Escape key on the left, and then you've you know you've got um, what else have you got on there? Uh, volume and so on. But it's dynamic, so it changes depending on the screen that you're yeah. So that I was you're in, in. when I
1: was on YouTube just before, it, it turned into a, a trackback, so I could see how far I was through watching that you video. Can scrub backwards and forwards and then, yeah, through yeah, the I video. Scrub you can do the same right with audio. To the end, Turn it up, turn it down. The uh, speakers on this are ridiculously loud, which is incredible considering I don't know how thick it is, but it, it doesn't look like it's thick enough to have. Um decently loud speakers. So but the way they do
0: that with the audio is you've got um you can see to the left and right of the keys. you've sort of got the grills there for oh, yeah. uh, for the speakers, uh, but also uh, sound is coming out the vents on the base. so you've got heat vents on the on the base. Um, and those also used for audio. So, yeah, really, really decent um,
1: you know, decent volume uh, compared to uh, compared to previous models. Keys have a little bit of track. I'm coming from a Surface Pro, so that keyboard is very soft, and there's a lot of play in the keys. So as you push them down, they, they sink quite a bit, which I'm quite used to. So this, the keys don't move much. They are a very good size, um, so you find typing on them is, is very comfortable. The, they don't have much play, which would take a bit of getting used to. So it it does feel very strange to type on. I think the one thing that the the touch bar is an amazing bit of kit. Really not, I really like that. The, the thing that's missing for me, again, coming from a surface touchscreen, like I'm so used to scrolling up and down using the touchscreen that this like even before I tried to cancel out of logging in and I touched the screen and it's not a touchscreen. Like yeah, because I, you, I mean there some of the UI actually looks like it is geared
0: up for touch, touch doesn't it? Mm. Um you know, especially when you're in for instance that sort of login screen and so on it looks like there's a you know there's a, there's a button there uh, for cancel and if you've been using a touch screen yeah absolutely you you're just going to reach out and touch it and you 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 know I, I mean I don't think it's uh, an exaggeration to say that some people will touch the same thing two or three times wondering why it's not working um, because they've come across to a touch device now that's not going to be so much the case if you're uh, if you're a, a, a MacBook Pro user already, uh, because you'll be you know you'll be pretty familiar with the fact that uh, um, they're not touchscreen, and that's the angle that Apple's taken. Um, now, th- there's been some sort of criticism around. Well, the touch bar is just kind of a very poor touch you know touchscreen. It's it's not up where you'd be looking at the screen and so on. It's down there on the keyboard. It's very small and slim. And I mean, I can un- I can understand that for say a uh, yeah someone who, who really loves having a touch screen on their um, on their computer, but I th- I'm thinking of it and I'm putting aside there not being a touch screen on the Mac because that's something Apple have said that they won't deliver and thinking of it more as a transformation of the keyboard and in those regards I like it I think it's you know it's really smart to get rid of the traditional uh, function keys. And give you something dynamic and there 's all sorts of capabilities uh, Apple showed gave me a demo of a uh, updated version of Office that will be coming out uh, soon that uh, basically gives you i guess it 's like things that are on the ribbon and, and the uh, formatting area that 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 pops up near your near your mouse uh, pointer and so on um that lets you do things very quickly they showed me how you can you'll be able to do that in the new version of uh or new update coming to office uh certainly does that in their own uh apps where you can do formatting and so on so it's um yeah it's it's pretty good as an extension or a change to the keyboard what i'm curious about is when are we going to see this as a standalone keyboard that you can get on your iMac or, or, or your Mac Pro? Uh, it's, you know, it's a great, great pivot. Um, in terms of doing that wirelessly, um, uh, Craig Harris pointed out to me, hey, how, how would that work with a wireless keyboard? You're going to need a chunk of juice to actually probably run that little bar. Um, I don't know how, mu- you know how much power would be needed to, to run it. Maybe the size of it is because they've actually done some testing and they work out that you can run a keyboard for a while like that, or maybe it just has to be plugged in, which which does probably make make more sense. But we will we'll see. Maybe they'll come out with some smart way of uh, um, of, of powering that or doing some sort of e ink thing with it. Um, Color e-ink, so that it's uh, it's it's very low power consumption. Um, I don't know, but having this little those dynamic um, and it's more than just keys, right? As you as you said, you can sort of scrub backwards and forwards through content in YouTube. Uh,
1: you can navigate through photo albums that way. It even shows you like when you're on a photo album, it actually shows you a very small thumbnail of the photo, which is just mental.
0: It's quite yeah. It's quite quite. It's a really nice cool, it's UI a, touch, a, a mini touchscreen. Mm. Um, so as long as you're not sort of comparing it directly to a touch a touchscreen, uh, and you're thinking of it as a keyboard extension, I think it's good. Uh, but you know, understand people are saying, well, this should just they should just go with a touchscreen. Yep, they, I you know I get I get that too. But a lot of people that I talk to aren't really into touchscreens on their laptops uh, yet.
1: Um, although, you know, what's your experience with having a touchscreen touch laptop? I would be surface? exactly the same. I, there's, we've got a few sister companies that we deal with and they all had um, laptops that have got touchscreens and I th- thought it was a complete waste of time. Like, you've got a perfectly functional mouse, why do you need a touchscreen? But I think once you go to a touchscreen, it just... Because you, th- you think when you don't have a touchscreen, you're like, it's going to be very annoying to to have my hands on the keyboard and then have to move those to touch something but it, it just becomes uh, very intuitive I think you can be typing and you can see something on the screen and you need to scroll up a document or scroll down a document you can then just quickly flick the screen up and down um, as you need to so as someone who went from a non screen to a touchscreen I would really loathe to go back uh, to a non-touchscreen laptop because I'm so used to all the um, gestures and moving things around and zooming and, and everything that a, a touch screen gives you to so the fact you now I think when I jump on someone else's laptop I'm so used to touch that I'll be like oh no sorry this isn't touch I can't as, as you did with it as I did yeah. with this one yeah,
0: um, yeah. I mean it's, yeah it's a really nice laptop it's got a gorgeous screen it's got all those things I mean if you are if beautifully you're a, If you're a Mac user, uh, a yeah, been a MacBook Pro user. Um, now, the other things people complain about is you know that the, the, we're we're down to basically four USB C po- uh, ports, the Type C ports, um, Type C ports, and a headphone jack as the, as the connections. Um, and as I mentioned on the podcast before, I actually don't think that's such a big deal. You can now you know you can plug into, and there are varying sorts of sort of dock type uh, things available. I think we're still waiting on the on perfection there. I'd like to see Apple come up. With their own product, I think that would be a very smart move from them. Um, we've tried it with some of the third-party ones, even you know we've got a, uh, an HP one here, and they, these aren't just USB-C ports; they they uh, support Thunderbolt as well. And so we tried one with a USB-C Thunderbolt uh, dock for uh, for one of the HPs. Plugged it in, and um, you know I think it would power it. The power through would work some of the capabilities worked but some didn't so that's not something that uh, we can recommend unfortunately but there are a few sort of, you know, certainly dongles that'll that'll give you a, you know, a screen and I think uh, Ethernet and uh, uh, extra USB ports and so on. Um, what I've got plugged in, I've, I've been using the uh, the standard MacBook in the studio, uh, which just has the single USB C port and it doesn't have Thunderbolt, and that's just got a little um, a little dongle that gives USB. Uh, HDMI and then a, um, a pass through for uh, for for charging, but yeah, there are certainly some units that are that are better than that. And I mean, these these ports are, are very fast. You can do lots of stuff over them. I I can understand people being a, a bit upset at at the change and so on, but I think you know if we if we go to you know, dock-type scenarios and carrying a few uh, dongles in your bag, it's, uh, it's it not, covers, it's not it, difficult. You know, it's its not as much of a nightmare. And it's just—it's also part of the challenge of move, moving
1: uh, to slimmer and slimmer devices. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to be able to... kind, the, of, kind of where, this where, thing where isn't, we're fitted. This thing isn't thick enough to have a USB port on it without having that... Oh, I can't remember which laptop had it, you know, where you, you sort of click it down and that that was more the Ethernet port where you click Ethernet. it down to yeah. yep. to plug it
0: in. HP I, and others have done that. I yeah. think
1: just yeah, Type C um I've got a Nexus six P so that it's had a Type C for ages. Surprised it's got a headphone port actually. Would have thought that as as part of that move away from the format, which is from like the nineteen what was I really It's like nineteen eighties or eighty five or something or other that it's remained pretty much the same ever since. Surprised that they actually kept that on there, whether you know you just moved to Bluetooth headphones.
0: Well, yeah, that it, it's a, it's an interesting one. I mean, I kind of think it's good to have that option. I mean, here uh studio-wise we you know we can plug uh, straight in if if we want to. Um I, I I still find it quite convenient having the having the wired uh the wired port. Mm. Um and I I got, you know, I got hit once with the iPhone I was on a flight and didn't have my uh wireless headphones and it was like, "Oh, I'll just jump in and listen to a Ah, oh, can't listen to a podcast on the iPhone. Conveniently, I had another phone, and uh, you know, away I went. I learned learned that on my uh, my last trip, and um, didn't get caught out again. But want to be aware of. Um, okay, a couple of other things to mention. Um, TrueNet have put out a latency uh, report. Well, it's not quite out yet, but I've seen a bit of a preview today. Um, NBR National Business Review have a bit of uh, have a bit of coverage of this. Um, unfortunately, if you um, uh, reading that, you have to put up with my commentary <laughs> in there, um, but um, the the key standout for me and this was focused on on gaming actually and and, and gamers and the the latency getting to varying gaming servers uh, in Sydney, which uh, is where a bunch of them are and uh, what it, basically the report was highlighting was uh, was two degrees who of course acquired um, internet service provider snap out of Christchurch. Um, have been doing the best job as far as um, being being very sharp with uh, with with reducing latency, and I guess that comes down to how their network is uh, is designed, how they've put it together. And um, you know where their points of presence are, and so on. Uh, but they seem to have uh, they seem to have got that uh, that pretty right. Had a bit of a catch up with um, with Nick McKechnie from uh, from uh, Two Degrees when I was in Christchurch uh, recently, just to, to get some insights on uh, on what they were up to. And they they do certainly seem to be uh, investing pretty heavily into uh, into making sure their network is good. And uh, yeah, the TrueNet report has uh, has
1: shown that and uh, has has put them on top from a latency perspective, which. is... is is good Anyone who's curious about latency latency is exactly like golf you don't want a high score the lower the better
0: that's it. That's it. And you know, having having low latency, yeah,
1: it's good for gaming,
0: but it's also good for you know business type things as well. Video, voice, uh, you know, Skype, uh, video conferencing, those sorts of things. It makes it a big difference for uh, if you're using uh, cloud services, whether it's uh, uh, storing your uh, Microsoft Office documents in the cloud or using Google Apps, uh, all those sorts of things. Having uh, having a lower latency uh, helps. Uh, on the flip side, though, there wasn't you know massive differences between you know certainly uh, Spark were were pretty close to uh, to two degrees and, and not a big you know range of, of difference across the board in, in most cases, but uh, certainly a bit of a pat on the back there for uh, for two degrees, and um, yeah, good good on them. Um, now semantic they have released today their. What do we call it? Their predictions for 2017. So this is uh, really their their commentary on where they think, um, or you know, w- what they think from a cybersecurity perspective that we should be uh, aware of moving into uh, into 2017. Uh, some of their things, I guess, are um, hmm, as predictions might be. Um, The wrong word because some of them are. I mean, some of them are almost uh, are almost obvious, um, and I'm not sure that they're actually putting a a specific timeline on them. So we won't. You know, these aren't aren't necessarily things that are going to happen in a a particular time frame. But yeah, I thought it was uh, was interesting. So I thought maybe we'll uh, we'll mention one or one or two of those. Um, So let's have a have a quick look before we uh, before we wrap up this uh, episode. So.
1: so some of the Internet things? of Things denial of service attack, which pretty much means your Samsung fridge at home that you use to browse recipes and potentially order extra products through your local favourite supermarket, an attack where a whole lot of uh, bogus requests are sent to it, so it becomes overwhelmed, and then potentially your fridge turns off or, or whatever, spoiling all that food is one of their. I think, big um, predictions and probably the scariest one for someone who thinks, oh, it will be really nice to have the fridge connected up to yeah. the internet. Well, I'm not sure they're sudden... talking
0: specifically about the fridge, but just sort of generally that there'll be an increase in those uh, denial of service attacks that are sort of led by... Internet, Internet of things. connected
1: things, yeah, yeah. 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 So Fridge, your vacuum could
0: be anything at home, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the, what what we're seeing at the moment is is those things are participating in these botnets to actually bring other things down, and that was what took down Twitter and and other services recently was uh, was all of these all of these gadgets connected to the net. So they're saying that that's going to uh, increase. They're they're talking about uh, we, we were talking about ransomware uh, earlier. Uh, they're saying ransomware is, is going to there's going to be a significant focus on. Uh, um, on attacking the cloud, um, and they're also um, yeah. So there, there's a there's a bit a bit more detail. We won't jump into all of that now. What what were the other ones that were uh, interesting? Uh, they talked about connected cars um, being taken for uh, for ransom, and of course there was uh, an exploit just in the last few days uh, where it, it was demonstrated um, stealing a Tesla basically through a um, through a vulnerability there. So um, yeah, that that could be expensive if you lose your hundred thousand uh, dollar plus car to a um, a hacker. That'd be kind um, of annoying.
1: Yeah, it would lying be, in or, bed, you hear your uh, internet of things connected garage door open up, and then your car back out and go off down the street. You think, ah, should have put that patch on or whatever I should have done. Yeah,
0: well, the nice thing, the nice thing with Tesla is they do they do, do a very good job of um, you know automatic updates and so on. Interestingly, apparently that uh, they've only just recently started enforcing sort of signed code, so that basically dodgy code could actually be loaded onto uh, onto the vehicles without it being checked that it was legit good. Uh, good code, which um, sounded a little bit odd to me that Tesla wouldn't have been at the at the forefront on uh, on that sort of uh, practice. But there you go. Um, They're also talking about uh, drones being used for espionage and explosive attacks. They're they're saying you know it's it's quite you know possible this could happen in twenty seventeen, but certainly you know it's going to become more and more of a risk going going forward. And I think you know we're talking about these sort of terrorism type. Uh, situations and 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 so on what else were they talking about um, rogue nations uh, rogue nation states uh, financing themselves by stealing money online I mean that's something that's already happening so I guess the, that's uh, you know we're seeing those, those sort of uh, states like like uh, North Korea certainly alleged that they're uh, they've they've been out involved in some of these fairly uh, fairly uh, dodgy attacks like the Swift based attack we heard about uh, earlier earlier on in the year I'm talk about an increase in uh, file list malware, uh, also more SS, SSL abuse they're saying, secure, secure sockets layer abuse will lead to increase phishing sites using HTTPS. So yeah, if you think of going to your internet banking site and getting the, the nice green bar up the top that maybe gives you a, a little bit more confidence that, that, that you've gone to the, the right banking site and that it's legit, more and more people will be using uh, SSL uh, certificates to um, you know, even on their dodgy phishing sites, because it's just got so easy, uh, including free options now to uh, to secure your um, uh, or encrypt your uh, your web traffic and uh, move you from HTTP to HTTPS protocol. That was it on that list, Nate. Were there any of those that sort of jumped out to you? I mean, what do you think about the uh, the idea? Of uh, drones being used for espionage and uh, you know explosive attacks and and the idea of drone jacking uh, where people are sort of intercepting uh, drone signals and um, uh, redirecting them for uh, you know criminal intent um, or you know drones being uh, being used for yeah I, I guess scenarios. Uh, like what we see, maybe in terms of uh, suicide bombers in the uh, in the Middle East and so on, oh, and that pretty, sort of stuff happening it's
1: through drones. Pretty scary stuff, to be honest, because the the drone can pretty much get anywhere, and the operator can be is it a k away or uh, or even further. And so, if you did have some sort of incendiary device attached to one, you could fly fly up right up to the corner of the gorilla, um building and then detonate it, and then. No, of, what are you suggesting? Better away on your way. Back
0: down, buddy.
1: <laughs> well, I'm not going to suggest my own headquarters. I think it is a scary thing. Um, we haven't seen it yet, but as the technology gets cheaper and people find all sorts of nefarious ways to a- a- affect others, that yeah, I think it is. It is a scary prediction, and I I hope it's one that Semantic have got wrong, but they quite. Uh, could be right on the money with it. Well, in the,
0: in the US, of course, there is there are sort of no fly zones for uh, for drones that sort of get baked into uh, hardware, and the, you know, I guess the US they're uh, they're a bit more cautious about these things. So you've got to be registered to uh, to be flying uh, drones in, in the US. But you know, re- realistically, we know it'd be very easy to overcome those sorts of probably very easy to overcome those sorts of things at, at this stage anyway in the in the short term through uh, through standard drones so yeah it is uh, it is somewhat worrying but there's no point uh, spending our time sitting around worrying about these things we just have to uh, get on and uh, you know not not uh, try not to be impacted by um, uh, by these sorts of threats right it's a one. All right. Well, I think that is us for uh, for this week. So, thank you everybody for listening in to this episode. Always appreciate it. You can feel free to get in touch if you would like to. Um, first of all, Nate, would you like to? Um Share your contact details. Pretty it's
1: easy, just on Twitter. I'm just Nate at nate. Okay, super nate short on Twitter. Super so if easy. You wanna,
0: if you want to reach Nate, you can reach him that way. Uh, you can reach me, Paul Spain, on uh, Twitter or um, across you know, all the all the social networks or well, most of them. Pretty easy to uh, to find there on uh, LinkedIn and uh, and Facebook as well. And you can always email me, Paul at Spain dot. NZ. if you want to uh, want to get in touch via email now for those who were interested and thought well maybe at maybe at some stage i may want to uh to get around to trying out this airbnb thing if you jump online now and you go to www.airbnb.co.nz slash c slash p s p a i n and the numeral one. If you sign up through that link, then you will get, I understand, $45 credit towards your first stay in any accommodation through Airbnb. Or if you choose to rent out your home or batch or something uh, while you're not using it, I think you get 100 And I think you can get both of those as well. So I'm not sure on the exact figures because I know they do change them around from time to time, but uh, I believe that's that's where they are at the moment. So that's it. That's us for this episode. Thank you, everyone, very much for listening in. We'll be back again uh, next week, and we expect to be running probably right up to pretty close to uh, Christmas because we've got a bunch of interesting guests that we're really keen to, uh, to chat to over the next uh, three weeks. All right, thanks, everyone. See ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.